This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cam here. Two things before we start the show. First of all, we have 64 patrons on Patreon, but don't you want to make it 100? Don't you want there to be 100 patrons for this show? Well, you can do it. You can be the change that you want to see in the world. Just go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. You can sign up. There's a bunch of different levels and you can support a show that you really love. And hey, I'd appreciate it. Also, I know for me, I feel sad because I'm not going to be traveling this holiday season. And um, for me, that's the right choice. My family lives pretty far away. And so I thought to myself, what could I do in case others didn't have an opportunity to travel also? And I will be throwing a series of holiday shows. They all benefit um, Dynasty Typewriter, this awesome theater here in L.A. They're going to be great guests. And the Thanksgiving show is the 25th of November at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. That's 8.30 Eastern. It'll be about 60 to 90 minutes. So it's not your entire evening. But I just wanted to spend some time with you. Please join me and your and your family, your queer, awesome, stand-up, fun comedy family for a holiday special on the 25th at 5.30 p.m. Pacific. You can go to DynastyTypewriter.com for more ticket information or my socials. Oh, I can't wait for that. Today on the podcast, Marley Grace, close friend of mine, and also a really prolific artist. Marley's the author of How to Not Always Be Working, a really great sort of pocket-sized manual, but um, has a new book out recently called Getting to Clear that I personally vouch for. She's also an amazing dancer. She's a great person to follow on Instagram. Please enjoy my friend, Marley Grace. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? I will. My name is Marley Grace, and I'm a writer and a dancer and a quilter. I do many things. I have a community radio show. I'm queer. I live in New Mexico. (laughs) Yeah, you... um... We're recently talking to me about this community radio show, and um, that, like, really stuck with me uh, as a dream, what sounds like a dream scenario. Maybe, I can't tell whose dream it is. Like, if it's your dream, or or if it's, yeah, if it's our dream, or if it's the dream of, um, you know, whoever might get to listen to that that you know might happen into things talk to me a little bit more about that i would love to um so growing up my dad 
worked in radio for 35 years. He was the promotions director for like our local light rock station in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he was a record collector and that's what he still does. He collects records. He just hit his 100,000th sale on eBay, which is what? So, or no, 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 wait. He hit his 11,000th 11, sale and hit like a hundred thousand dollars over like almost 20 years. But he was like so proud of this like huge milestone. Anyways, um, my dad worked in radio my whole life, and I used to have, uh, I used to run an artist residency in Michigan, and when I lived there, I had a podcast where I interviewed every artist who was there, and it was really fun, and so over the years, people have always been like, you should have a podcast again, and something in me was like, I don't think I want to. And then when we moved to this small town of Madrid, New Mexico, the person who sort of invited us here started the community radio station. And I was just like, okay, I think it's time to have my own radio show. And so it's called Friendship Village, uh, which is the name of a book written by a woman named Zona Gale, who is from Portage, Wisconsin, which is where my dad is from. And it's this like strange essays, stories about people who live in a small village. Um, so you can call into the radio station, you can email me questions, and then I answer them on the air. That's what it is. It's very fun. And who listens to this? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, like, do you, you know, hear from listeners? Yeah, I definitely locals listen and love it. And that's fun. Like, we have a little coffee shop in town. that's sort of the like town gathering place. And yeah, it's really nice. People will be like, Marley, I loved your what you answered about this thing. And you know, a lot of what I answer is about, you know, queer identity and sobriety and like creative blocks and process. And uh, it's a lot of... um, straight leaning women who are curious about if they're gay is generally who calls me, which is, you know, um, I, I feel like I sort of have two kinds of listeners, the local listeners, and then people who maybe are familiar with my work or follow me on the internet. And they're also calling in. So I do share it public. It's both kind of like a private thing that I'm public about. So, yeah, that I just am. So I moved, I moved recently, um, from the like urban epicenter of Los Angeles. I mean, well, that's maybe that's I don't even know what is I don't know what the urban epicenter of Los Angeles is. There is no like downtown um was previously known for it's like high percentage of unhoused people and then like within the last decade had been sort of turned into this like mega hip like everything is a everything is called egg slut like that's the actual name of a breakfast restaurant that it's like very hard to get a sandwich from egg slut you know you're like i it's just something you know um but then with covid all of the sort of gritty revitalization um has gone back the other direction. And then I was living in Echo Park, which is a an east side neighborhood that was, I didn't know, was on the path of the helicopters that the police fly between oh. between between like where the protests were and where in the helicopter parking lot. Um and so 
and they were replacing a water main on my street. Anyway, for the entirety of the pandemic, I was just living in like uh, the loudest, most busy place and wishing that I lived somewhere where I ran into the host of the community radio show. Yeah, yeah. And um, I sort of did that for myself. I moved to, I live in like the foothills um, of these freaking mountains. There's mountains behind me. And that's pretty huge and different for me. I don't know for you, you know, what is your experience right now being a human being that lives in New Mexico, being a queer human being that lives in New Mexico? When did you move? It's recent. You had a recent move. Yes, we moved March 15th. So um, what a chill fucking time. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. So we got to live here for two days is what I joke. And then we lived in not we I don't know where we live now. Um, But we yeah. So my partner is a wildland firefighter. And so we were living in Michigan where I'm from. And we uh, Jackie is her name. She got a job with the Santa Fe National Forest. And so she was like, all right, are you? open to moving there. And I was like, sounds great. So, um, you know, for such a small rural town, it's really queer. Our landlords are lesbians. People who live next door to us are gay. The town bar is owned by lesbians. Like the person who picks up our dog to go to doggy playgroup, which is called romp is a lesbian who's amazing name Mo, who just takes care of all the mutts in the town. So it's, it's a really, queer we kind of joke that we're like did this town exist or did we make it up because when we were kind of deciding where we wanted to live um jackie used to live in a small town in washington i used to live in a small town in northern california a lot of similarities but very straight and so we were like what if we could find a place like that but it's like really queer and then uh asking you shall receive so we're you know, fire season is over and we're sort of just here and wondering how long we'll be here and what's next. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to say because we moved here and then everything became very different uh, immediately. And so, yeah. And so my community radio show has been this amazing, like, uh, sort of weekly grounding activity um, uh, amidst sort of so much unknown. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I'll say is that, well, it doesn't seem like Jackie's job is going to go anywhere. No, never. Anytime <laughs> soon. Um, Sadly. Actually, you know, just down the street, there is like a, because now I live in an area that was really affected by the wildfires. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's like, there are like banners up everywhere thanking the the firefighters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's on my mind a lot that like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on here. Um, but for you, you know, um, how was it moving somewhere and having to start over? I mean, work-wise, friendship-wise, all of those things at a time when, like, it's already hard to start again. Uh, how'd you do it? Tips, yeah, tricks. I, yeah, <laughs> tips, tricks. <laughs> You know, I was talking to a friend yesterday and just talking about, um, like, I think I've been trying to get a little more honest about the loneliness that I have experienced this year, especially uh, with a partner who was gone most of the last six months for her job. And just, uh, 
you know, we moved to a town and a state where we, I think, literally know two people. And we are not close to, like, our friend family, to our blood family. And I think that, for me, when I shift things, I have so much adrenaline at first that it's fine. It's like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to meet new people. I'm so excited to have my radio show. I'm so excited to find the new hiking trails. Um, and so much of my work, you know, is digital. I'm either teaching online or I'm just in so many online digital spaces or I'm writing and that, um, isn't, isn't next to anyone. And so there's, you know, my career really can be anywhere, which is, you know, a blessing and a curse. It, it makes me feel like I can just go and jump around a lot more. But yeah, I think, you know, I just put out a book and that feels really lonely. I really miss my friends who live everywhere. You know, I always have friends who live everywhere. That's part of, um, having run a couple different artist residencies, I tend to kind of like bring my people to me and then they leave over and over. So I sort of, no matter pandemic or not, I'm sort of always cultivating this strange coming and going. But in terms of tips and tricks, um, you know, I have like what I call like healthy ones and other ones. I don't like to call them not healthy, but I've watched, as we have spoken about, many seasons of Grey's anatomy um which <laughs> i i also watched all friday night lights this year which i joke um i was like they're my friends like especially when you know my girlfriend's gone for weeks at a time in a burning forest without service i need i need i need my people i need them to be consistent and available so i chose friday night lights it was beautiful um so i'm definitely a tv watcher but i'm also like a bath taker and i have a lot of like you know, a lot of outside help and communities that support me. I have a lot of friends who walk similar paths of taking care of themselves. And that's sort of like who I really depend on. But yeah, it's, it's, it's lonely. And we've had, we've had people visit, which is really nice. And we have sort of a guest space. So if people are being really safe with COVID, they can be in this separate space. And, uh, I think part of it is accepting that it's like a really lonely time. I think that's so helpful to hear, you know, just I'll say that, but like, I've, I've been hearing a lot. Um, I've started to hear from my family. We've, we've even discussed, we are outside of the podcast friends. Um, and, um, I'm starting to hear a lot from my family, like about the holidays. And, um, I think that, you know, one really amazing thing about my family is that they don't see a lot of obstacles in life. It's like a whole group of people that can just like manifest seemingly anything at any time. But one thing that is tough is that like the other side of that coin is like, sometimes I feel like I'm the sort of obstacle noticer <laughs> in my family. Um, and so you know, they've been talking about getting together for the holidays, at least the ones who live in the States have, and they live closer to each other than I do. So it's a different equation. Like they're talking about driving to see each other. And that's like a nine hour drive, which is substantial. But for me, it's like 22 or 29. Um, and that, that doesn't feel like the most doable drive. And so it's been kind of kind of an interesting time in terms of like, speaking to people who I really love and care about who are sort of focused on like 
we'll get to see each other and we see each other, everything will be fine. And I think for me, I'm more on the experience of like, I don't know that we'll see each other. So therefore, is everything not fine? You know, and um, it's helpful to just hear from other people that, you know, you can be lonely, you can be wanting to see people and that can still be a state of being okay because there maybe not, there maybe isn't an alternative right now. You know, I feel I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the source. I'm like, was this a meme? Was this a New York Times article? <laughs> like, I'm not sure where I got this information, but I'm going to present it, which is um, like this two things. Like one is we're actually becoming more socially awkward uh, because of what's happening and because of how we're like always connecting in digital spaces. Like I definitely find myself I'm like, I have a few friends here. Why am I not reaching out to them? It's like, it's harder than it used to be to maintain relationships and to like understand how to have them. And then the other thing I read, I think this was a meme. Again, apologies to the man who wrote it. Um, but, <laughs> Come on, uh, meme it. I know. It was like, we, I think, so yesterday, for instance, I think I was in between five and six digital experiences, you know, um, different meetings, professional things, uh, um, exercise things, you know, I was just in so many different spaces, many of which make me feel really connected. But then every time the Zoom meeting ends or the thing ends, I'm still like alone in this town of 300 people with only my partner who I'm already constantly navigating not being codependent with so it's like the the kind of this in and out of like i'm connected i'm connected and then being like whoa i'm actually still very alone i think is way more disorienting than any of us realize and i think for me just in the last couple of weeks it's I think probably specifically with the election just i think some sort of new light was shed on like feelings of hope, hopelessness, celebration, the nuance of like politics in general. And just, yeah, I think that brought in like a new sense of just feeling a little out, out to sea, maybe is the word. Yeah. You know, I've, for me, when you're like, we're getting more socially awkward, I was, I truly, my thought was, but how is that possible if my starting place <laughs> was so far down the road. I don't, I can like, I think I can make it look like I'm comfortable. Um, yeah. I, professionally, in fact. Yeah. Like yeah. I can do that for a living. Um, uh, and I really like one-on-one -on -one conversation with people. I really love going out to dinner, you mm. know, but like, mm. um, anyway, this is all leading to a place of like, the way that we're actually hanging out right now one-on-one -on -one walks with a mask and you can't even see anybody's face and you're walking mm -hmm. next to each other that's mm -hmm. like my dream cool so that's good <laughs> but i will say that like my tolerance for i'm noticing that like everything seems really loud and i think that that is actually mm -hmm. like a, an anxiety response it's always a, i i i have um for a long time had extreme auditory sensitivity, but uh, mm. my girlfriend Katie will tell you that I've been hunting around 
the outside of where we live trying to figure out where this noise is coming from that is oh. not necessarily audible to other people. Okay. Wow. Um, and I think that <laughs> what I'm noticing is that, like, I don't know that's like, it might, I'm trying to figure out if it's like social awkwardness is the right way for me to say it. For me, it actually feels like what is harder, what seems like it's going to be extremely hard to do is to like re-become a society. Like, mm-hmm. how am I supposed to be in a restaurant? Yeah. You know, so, um, like, I can't figure out if that's social awkwardness or if that's, like, maybe that is, maybe that that's a society. Yeah. So maybe that is social awkwardness. But um, that stuff catches me off guard when I do things that are, like, It's the dog park, but suddenly there's like 12 people there. That seems high to you. And it feels like this is a lot of people. That's previously I was seeing like that, that, you know, I actually usually see a lot of people Mm -hmm. as per my, per my job, per constantly being in airports. Mm, mm. You don't have to constantly be in airports now. No, I know. I don't. And do you like that more? I'm interviewing you now. Let's talk about your airport. Um, <laughs> thanks for asking more. Like I, I, uh, I'm really enjoying not being in airports. Yeah. I do miss, um, like, I really love walking around cities, just various cities. Mm-hmm. I really love, like, seeing things. I'm like a, and not like, you know, touristy things, but like finding a little, whatever, random spot. Mm. Where was I? Like North Carolina. I was like in Raleigh and I like stumbled upon a pride parade. Like what a dream, oh, you know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was very small. <laughs> Apparently the bigger one is in Durham and Raleigh oh, yeah. has its own yeah. that is like attended by 12 people, the same number at the dog park. And you so, were number 13. <laughs> there I was. Um, anyway, so getting back to, um, what you were just talking about, which is that you just put a book out. I did. Um, And I know that this is a completely bizarre time to do that based on my own experience. Um, But maybe I'm curious about like, are you hearing from folks um, about that? And what is that experience like um, if you are? And, you know, what does it feel like to put something out right now for you? Yeah, you know, I am hearing from folks. I think it's so I put another book out two years ago that was called How mm-hmm. to Not Always Be Working. And that is a flashy little gift book. Um, you know, like Target ordered a ton of copies like it was it was pink it was small people love to put it on a cash register checkout and it wasn't a global pandemic and it was funny because as a as the person putting it out I was in a like an emotional place where I was like really nervous I was so nervous to have something be so public I like didn't feel like I really promoted it a lot myself um But now, two years after it came out, I have this amazing experience of that being sort of proven wrong, right? It's like a lot of people read the book. A lot of people love the book. It changed people's lives. So putting this book out, 
I think I've been, I was so, and am still so excited for people to read it. You know, it's, it's five times longer than the other book. It's like a real book book. Um, it's a lot more personal and it feels a little like crickets and I'm like, fine. I don't feel like self-deprecating. I actually feel, I was thinking about that before we talked today and I was like, you know, I want to talk really honestly about what it feels like for me because I think that I'm really good at projecting so much just joy and gratitude and magic on the internet. I mean, that's part of like, that's part of who I am in real life. And it's part of who I am to people. Um, And I think people assume that if you have a certain amount of followers or your friends look a certain way, you must just have tens of thousands of people reading your book. And I don't have, I don't think I have tens of thousands of people reading my book right now. And so it feels, yeah, I think that's where I was talking to a friend last night. I was like, I'm feeling a little lonely out here. And I have to also remember, maybe you relate to this a little bit. It's like, I'm not I don't feel like, like writing is not my, I'm not like out here trying to be an author. Like I'm not trying to have my career be, I am an author. I'm a best-selling author. Like I really identify as an improviser, as a dancer, as, you know, a quilter. There's so many other parts of my career that are going really well right now. I'm like teaching my second sold out quilting class. I'm like feeling really dedicated to my dance practice right now. I'm reading a lot. Like there's so many other parts of my career that feel really good. And yeah, I think I thought I was really trying to be like really right-sized about my expectations about the book. And I also like made investments in like people helping me get the word out. And um, and it's so easy for me to focus on what's not going well. And yes, I have received dozens of DMs from people who are just like, you know, especially I think people who share stories of getting sober and who share stories of coming out after a hetero marriage. You know, those are two sort of main parts of my personal life that are woven through the book. And yeah, I have received a lot of feedback from people who that's just so helpful for them. Because I think at the root of my work, my hope is that other people feel less alone. I mean, I write to feel less alone. And it's been my experience that people who read my newsletter or read my writing or read my books or my zines, they feel less alone too. And I have had that experience. I think, yeah, it came out a week before an election in a global pandemic. It might take it a minute. That's the other thing is how to not always be working took a minute. I remember the first few weeks that book came out, I was a little like, I thought balloons were going to drop from a ceiling and I was going to Okay, last thing, jumping around a little, reminds me of something you said earlier. Oh, the family. We're going to bring it back to the family. You were like, if we're together, it's all going to be okay. This is my biggest pattern, which is pretty much what I write about in the book, is I'm like, when the book comes out, then I'll be the best. When my when X, Y, and Z happens, then I'll finally feel okay. And I think I always think I'm actually farther away from that than I am. And then I get whiplash a little. So I'm having a little whiplash. I'm having a little whiplash today. And I don't hate myself for it, which is very different 
than it used to be. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Giant thumbs up. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! How did How to Not Always Be Working come to be? Mm. Like, how did that book get sold? It's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story because I feel like it is a story rooted in staying true to DIY culture. So started making zines in 2010, 10 years ago. And in 2015, I made a zine called How to Not Always Be Working. 2015, yeah. Um, and I was traveling to California and I... I made like a little workshop about it and taught it at this really cool little art supply store called Case for Making, which is still there in San Francisco. And there, long story short, there was one zine left from the workshop that they had for sale in the store. And this woman named Kate Woodrow waltzed in. I like pretty much don't look at Twitter. I don't really understand it as an interface, but every like six months or so I look at it. And so... I looked at Twitter one day in 2015, this stranger Kate tweeted like, got this cool zine. And I clicked on her profile and she was a senior edit editor at Chronicle. And so I was like, maybe this person will help me make a book. So I like message her and she's like, actually, I stopped working there. Your zine helped me so much. I'm now a literary agent. I'd love to help you make this into a book. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, um, and Kate has now helped me invent Getting to Center. She, I'm sure, will help me make a third book. She's amazing. I love her very much. And um, she... And then my life hit the fan, right? Then I, like, got divorced and sold everything I owned, closed my business, moved across the country, realized I'm gay. Just a lot started to happen. And then once I settled into myself a little bit, I was like, okay, I'm ready to write this book. And then it came out in 2018. I'm also wondering, like, when when you find how do you find when does one find out that Target bought a bunch of copies? That, that is like interesting. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Um, that's super interesting. You're gonna like this. So, you know, I've other than my two books that are both published by an imprint of Harper Collins, pretty much every dollar of my income over the last eight years is self-organized, like is from me promoting my own things. So it was scary when, when I knew they were going to like, they were like wanted it to be an urban outfitters and all these places that I was like, this is so uncool. This is like the least <laughs> punk thing I can think of. And so when I think it was Kate called me and was like, okay, so target has bought 
18,000 copies of How to Not Always Be Working to be around the country. And of course, I was mortified. I was like, oh my God, no, like this is so not cool. Like I can't, and I, I don't know, I didn't have to tell anybody. I never told anybody really, but here's the thing. I heard someone say this many years ago. It was like a, a an herbalist who had some of their, who had like a natural deodorant that was at Urban Outfitters. And they were getting a lot of flack for that. And this person who's like a queer small business owner was like, you know what? If like a young woman person comes into Urban Outfitters and finds that and is like, you know what? Maybe I want to be a gay witch who doesn't get cancer from using aluminum in my armpits. Like that's a win for me. Like, and so I really found, I got a message from basically having the book in Target, it reached a totally different demographic than I could have as like a white, queer, cis DIY person. Like I was having like black single poor moms message me and be like, wow, I found your book at Target. It was just what I needed. And I was like, wow, I don't reach you. I don't reach you in the like boutique gay stores in LA that I've been selling my stuff at for the last eight years. Like you don't go there. And so I really found that the book was able to reach the people that I was actually afraid it wasn't for. I was like, you know, I grew up in a lower middle-class family. My parents, my parents look at how to not always be working. They're like, hi, we're looking for a job over here. Like, I wonder what it's like to have the luxury of not always working. Um, so yeah, that's what my experience was like having at Target. The funniest thing was it was, it wasn't really in the book section. It was part of like their holiday gifting section. So it was often next to pink rosé, on a, like a end thing. It was like, drink up and read this book. And I was like, wow, this fucking former drug addict alcoholic loves to have her book leaned up against some rosé at Target. So that was the little irony that happened. But yeah, it was great. Target's Target's chill. I shop at Target. It's where I get a lot of my toilet paper. Like, you know, I can't be a hater and shop at Target. Okay? Well, I also think that probably anybody listening you know, this is an interesting time to have this conversation. And you and I even sort of recently had a conversation. But for me, like when I hear that story, I think of like the purity testing that like I appreciate about a queer, like the queer community. So I opt in to being like to being in the queer community. Like it's not just like I don't just like have this identity, but it's also important to me to like join up. You know, and I think that one of the things that I get from that decision is checked constantly, you know, um, and corrected. Like, it's a very, you know, it's a community that, like, really, my experience of the queer community, because I know there are many iterations, but, like, my experience, the queer, the community that I have opted into, which is, like, the version of things that, like, is trans affirming that understand that like has like doesn't ever even like would never you know doesn't push back against the, knows how to conjugate they them pronouns like yeah. you know it's yeah. that community it's the community that like I mean in LA it's funny it's like it, it's it can be like white people who want to attend 
events that they that are like not even for them (laughs) yeah or you know like that are donating to you know like the like the black lives matter march that is like organized by black Lives black lives matter organizers whatever it's a very right it's a very um so anyway when i opted to join up with this community it's like i sort of felt like i had to then leave behind the community mm. that I was born into, like, you know, some of the stuff that I was born with, like, I'm actually not a Republican. I was born in an area where many people are. I'm, you know, I, there are things that it was right to leave. Mm. And then there's like, sometimes it felt like some of the stuff that I had to leave was like being okay with the status quo sometimes, because like, we have to, we have to push, but we also have to go to bed at the end of the night. And I saw this recently represented in like, you know what? The night that like the Biden-Harris speeches happened, like for me, that was like an all good night. Mm. And like, you know, I I actually know the like Kamala Harris's history and I'm yeah. like excited that we might have a vice president who we actually could hold accountable for anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But like I gave myself that night, you know, and that's growth for me because like, Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, I was becoming like a snake that's just like constantly eating its own tail. And I'm just like, I'm like correcting myself as I try to relax. Like, no, you can't be happy about this because she has, you know, this prosecutorial history. This is how I end up making like videos where I'm like screaming at white women in the suburbs, Mm -hmm. you know? And I just, I just have to realize I've been trying to, to be okay with shit being sold at Target, you know, the equivalent of that across my life. Because it's positive. It's positive to, to have, to, to let there be a win sometimes. Yeah. And we we gave ourselves that night in our home too and um like sobbed into our dinners kind of thing like and i really did not expect that because yeah i'm like i celebrated the current president's loss like i don't really celebrate one of my dearest dearest friends was the senior creative advisor for the campaign. And so I had, you know, who's like in our queer community. And so I had like a really kind of tender relationship with this election specifically to like see her like gradients behind these people and be like, my one of my closest people like made that. Um, And yeah, and similarly, like it, I don't know. There's so much. I mean, I don't like to like overuse the word nuance, but same. It's like I know all the all the Biden Harris history that is is painful, I think, especially as a queer person, actually. And and, you know, I grew up in a very like Democrat loving household. And, um, you know, I my dad texts we call my dad Burtz. His name is Bruce, but we call him Burtz. And he refers to himself as that. And he just texted me Kamala talking, Burtz crying. Um, I have a like a really tender Scorpio dad. And so, you know, that's sort of the energy of my family. And I'm glad I gave myself that night because, you know, the next day I was kind of back to like 
all right, let's go. Like, what what does it look like to hold these people accountable? What does it look like to make sure Georgia goes blue in January? Like, how do we flip the Senate? Like, what are the real ways I can use my platform to make these changes, to hold these people accountable? And yeah, I freaking cried hearing. Jackie was crying and she said, did he just say he cares about the earth? <laughs> and I was just like, you know, and for a, for, for a gay woman firefighter to hear that is a big deal, you know, and I've, you know, for them to both say systemic racism, for them to say the word transgender, you know, and I'm, I'm weary because like, they've got some damn good speechwriters who know how to make us love a politician. I know I'm getting tricked at the same time. And I was okay for that for one night. And I'm, and I'm glad that I let myself if I was tricked, they tricked me and I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to be complacent. Hell no. But yeah, maybe it wasn't cool to cry and I don't care. I cried. (laughs) Well, I think, I think that it's, for me, it's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're politicians. Like, I don't, I, I feel like sometimes when I, if I am hearing something from someone else, it seems like I just have heard a lot like in the last six years uh, from folks who seem to like, if I, if I'm, if I'm saying anything political and someone has feedback, it usually comes in the, in the form of like, but do you know that this is like messed up? And Mm. I think what I'm saying is that like, unfortunately, I think we live in, in in systems that are are where like the goal is the board game monopoly like in mm-hmm. that's just where we happen to be um mm-hmm. and and so you know what is my responsibility when like I mean, I even think about it in terms of, you know, when my book was coming out and I was like, it was like so early in the pandemic and I was just like, I can't, well, first, no, my first thought was like immediate action, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like immediate action and like planning 9 million events. Um, mm. But I do think that like any personal disappointment that I've had I don't know. I guess it feels a little bit like, I think I just feel, I think I feel differently aware of my limitations as a human. Maybe. Mm. Can organize a lot of really amazing events. And like, also people are like, and you know, you can get your book on like an indie bestseller list, but also if like everybody's pretty concerned about the fact that like, that like the country's toilet paper is (laughs) (laughs) You know, remember toilet paper was shut down for a while? Yeah, we didn't have any because we moved, we drove across the country and literally from Michigan to New Mexico couldn't find any. We like got here and our our landlords, we were like, we have three rolls. And we were like, okay. So we had three rolls and we would use like literal, we were like driving to so many different stores in Santa Fe. None. There was literally no... Toilet paper, couldn't order any online. We were like, 
So finally, the Lone Butte General Store, 10 minutes up the road, I think I spent like $57 on 10 rolls or something. Like it was like, you know, like four packs that were like $10 each. It was something crazy. I've never, but we did, we got right down to the end of roll three and I I was able to spend a fortune and then things got back to normal. But I do remember that. I do remember. Yeah, that was a pretty wild one. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to pivot because I want to make sure that we have time to talk about this. So, you know, you had this experience of like being married to a man, somebody that yes. you still have in your life as a positive person. I um, and I don't know that I've had like so many people. I'm trying to think if I've had like so many people on that. That's their story. I've certainly mm-hmm. had like a range in terms of when people came out or figured out what's going on with them. But the marriage, that's like a common story in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has like super long roots in like, say like the like, les- like lesbian history. Like that's a big it's part just... of our history. That's like often where we got our kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, just talking like vaguely through mm-hmm. um, the way you feel about that now because I think like for some people I even spoke to Glennon Doyle and she was talking about like not being sure if she's like welcome at our Mm -hmm. table um, as somebody who previously had been married to a dude and Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you guys have some pretty different lives how do you feel Mm -hmm. about that yeah well I think um My story is so interesting because, and it reminds me of how just dynamic like languages and the words we use to identify ourselves because, I mean, I was out and queer in my marriage. Like I wasn't necessarily not understanding the, the abundance of my sexuality. Um, but Something became really clear. To, and that is also actually not why my marriage ended, um, as opposed to a lot of people who are like, oh, whoops, like I'm I am gay um, in, and, and can't be in this marriage anymore. But I it is really interesting. I don't know. And I'm always trying to, like, figure out exactly how to talk about. I'm sure you know this, um, like there's so much fear around using the word lesbian or dyke because there's so much like there's so many bad turfs in the world that have sort of like ruined which is so sad because um i don't think you really see gay men being questioned about using the word gay and maybe that's why sometimes i also use the word gay because it feels easier to me um which i think is interesting but you know it's pretty easy it's like i'm 10 years old I'm like in love with the neighbor girl. It's very clear to me. I'm like, this is love. (laughs) This is what I'm attracted to. My Barbies are having sex. I'm 16. (laughs) I'm 16. And I have this whole poem that I actually only found this last year where I am like, I talk about how I am not a dyke. I just want to get in. (laughs) I don't think I've said this person's name publicly because I'm like, does she listen to this? Is she gay now? Who cares? Her name's Tanya. Anyways, I'm like, I that's who I'm. I like want to get in her pants. 
But there ha- in the poem, I say there's been accusations that I'm the ballet lesbian. And especially growing up in ballet, you have gay men and you have straight women. So you don't have lesbian ballerinas. And I, it was clear to me that I was like, whoa, that's not what I am. My first kiss just before that with my best friend, Melinda Bertotti. Anyways, at 16 years old, I write that poem and I am like, only have partnerships with cis men after that. And I have, you know, sexual experiences with people of all genders, but my rela- I could never match up being in love with a woman and having sex with a woman. I would have, they were happening separately, especially in college. I like was in love with this one woman. I knew that, but I was like, but we won't have sex because I'm not a lesbian. Like, cause that's clearly a very bad thing to be. I remember when I was 16, it's not good. So, um, yeah, it took me till spring of 2018, which is really not that long ago to fully, you know, I'm very grateful to my first serious girlfriend. Um, who was like willing to kind of walk me through a lot of internalized homophobia I did not know was there, especially as like an out queer person in queer community. I was like, I can't be homophobic towards myself. Like, how is that even possible? And it was like, oh, wow. Um, And it's been so beautiful. I mean, I feel like as even as problematic as some you know, lesbian history is, I feel lesbian history, if you will. Um, <laughs> I started reading certain things and like, you know, I started reading like Audre Lorde poems and found like an old copy of Our Right to Love, a lesbian resource book, and just like started getting my hands on things really by other people who identified as lesbians. I feel like really teary even talking about it right now, where it was like, really one of the first times I was like, oh, like, there I am. Like, there I am. Like, I just, the way I was reading about, like, intimacy and connection and sex, it was just so different than what I'd experienced in other relationships. And yeah, I, um, a lot of people can leave a a straight presenting marriage and just be bisexual or queer. And that's great too. Like, you don't have to all of a sudden be a lesbian, but that has been my experience that has felt really, you know, everyone I've dated really since I came out also identifies as a lesbian. I think that's a really broad thing to identify as. I think what we're seeing is like so many people with different gender identities still identify as that. Um, And it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I love to be gay. (laughs) I love my partner. I love And I love, like you said, it's like, and that identity fits into the queer community I have chosen to opt into today. There's plenty of bad Republican Christian lesbians out there who are probably really scary. You know, it's like our sexuality does not equal our, our, you know, our politics. So, um, long-winded, hope that answers your question. I find, I feel a seat at the table. So. You do? Yeah. Sometimes Jackie has... I mean, I'm not saying anything we haven't talked about, but it's like, I mean, I I have a serious partner who came out when she was 14 years old. You know, it's we have, we have a different, we have a gap, you know, in our time. And so there are even times in my really, I remember one time she called me a new gay and we were like talking about like who I was attracted to or something. And I remember just being really hurt because I think to me, I was like, I've been gay since I was 10. Like, I know 
that I know this part of myself is very old. Like, yes, have I been out and using certain language for a shorter amount of time, but have I known myself in a really deep, intimate way since for from a very young age? I think that's also true. So, um, and, and it's true. And she's had a, and people who have been out longer have a much longer history of like, microaggressions and violence and not feeling safe. And that's different. That is different. It is different to come out at 14 than it is at 20 something. Um, But I have found, I mean, yeah, Glennon's story, the author Molly Weisenberg has a, has a similar story. Both of them have children, which is a little different, obviously is different than me. I don't have children. Um, But I'm so grateful for people who showed me that story. And both of those authors, both of those people have amazing relationships with their ex-husbands, which I'm also grateful to share. And so that's another important part of like sharing my own story to be like, you can have all of this. Um, and it takes a lot of healing and communicating, but uh, you can have it. So. <laughs> yeah. I want to just briefly touch on something that you said in um, just about the word lesbian and and Dyke, and you know, I will say, um, I get that question, and I've gotten that question on like I do like a mini podcast for Patreon subscribers, and so I'm realizing that I didn't answer it for like people who weren't that. Um, but like I do get that question of like whether that can be an okay term, and like I think it truly is like how are you meaning to use it, and and you know, there, there's even like a disclaimer at the beginning of this show where it's like mm. different people. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love every time I've listened to this podcast and you say that, I am just, I feel so calm because it invites me to disagree. It invites me to disagree with you, whoever you're interviewing, and respect and learn at the same time. Anyways, I interrupted. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's tough. It's, this is a, this is a tough one because I do think that it hits our community in a different way. Mm I. You know, I also think that, that like, for me, erasing it completely um, from my language means that, like, I have to erase a connection to a history that I really care about. So, like, that's what's tough. Um, I recently watched a movie that I'm just going to really recommend to, like, the the blah. I watched it at 6 o'clock in the morning yesterday because oh my, um, my dog wakes up really early and then there's, like, nothing to do for a brief period of time before Katie's awake. And right. so I watched um, a documentary that's called The Aggressives. I'm literally going to hmm. look up what year it's from. Okay. Um, because it's something that I remember seeing the cover to for a really long time. It's like from, oh, please, Internet, don't fail me now. It's from 2005. Um, but I remember seeing the cover of it. And for me, it almost felt like. It's almost like a Paris is burning sort of a thing where like it's a look at like butch or um, stud like black lesbians who identify with the term aggressive. Like that's what they call themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, They also use those other words. And I just was watching this movie being like, this is fucking awesome. It's like a doc. It's also like. I think definitely done by a man because sometimes there's like a dude that's asking them a question and I'm like, get out of there. But it's just amazing. Like, it's just amazing to know like that we have been here, you know, Mm -hmm. and I always, I always love to be reminded of that. So that's just a, it's on Amazon prime. 
um, or whatever it's called. The internet show, the internet channel from Amazon, you know, the TV. Yeah. I, oh, Prime Video. There it is. There it is. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel the same. And it was like, I think part of our history is they just didn't have the language. There's so many like historical lesbians who looking back, maybe we're trans, maybe we're non-binary and they didn't feel safe or didn't have the language for it then. So I think, I think it's just really nuanced and complicated. And there's ones that are part of our history who are like still living today and like out turfs who think that that's like actually okay and is like how they want to be in the world and that's really complicated um to both it be really complicated inspired and be like wow i'm probably able to be out because of you and you cause harm to other people in our community it's 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 a lot and um i'm always open to learning about it so yeah. Word. Well, before I send you back into your day, I just want to ask you to shout out a queero. That's right. Which is a, a person, place, or thing that made you feel like you could be who you are today. Well, I thought of it earlier today because I knew you were going to ask. And um, I would like to shout out a woman named Marty Mann, who was the first woman of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she started, I know people don't know about this. I actually have her biography in front of me because I didn't want to mess up the thing she started, which was, it's now called the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. So she was an out lesbian in the 40s and 50s. She died in the early 80s. And she was just like, lived a very chaotic life, <laughs> even in her sobriety. And she just in 12-step rooms and in our government just completely changed the narrative about alcoholism from like, this is a real disease that um, there's a solution for and it doesn't have to be stigmatized and was a freaking lesbian. And uh, I only learned that a couple of years ago and I'm so grateful because my relationship with recovery, I'm I'm grateful to have a, like a really abundant queer community around um around that for for myself and i really think it was because because of marty marty's my queero thank you for that and thank you for being guest today i could talk to you for many more i know i have many follow-ups um <laughs> we'll do them off the air sounds but, great um i can't wait to continue to watch the success of your book and oh, thank you, there will be an intro while I tell everyone to purchase it but this is also the oh, outro here. where I do the same I love yeah. it